0: to Film Trace. This is the podcast where we trace the life of a film from conception to production all the way to release and reception. We are doing Thief uh, from 1981 today. It was my choice. I love Michael Mann. Uh, And I have to admit that I don't think I had seen this the whole way through before uh, this episode. Yeah, I know, right? And uh, Because it had a home release in 2014, I think, and I just never got to it or got to parts of it, so I really wanted to dive into it. Uh, We have Chris with us as always, and we have a special guest, uh, Mike Field from Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Uh, Mike, say hello and kind of tell us a little bit about your podcast and about you.
1: Uh, how you doing uh thanks for having me uh uh, my podcast is called forgotten cinema and uh each episode we take a movie that you know you always remember the movies that first come out and you watch them with your buddies and then you don't ever talk about them ever again and you know you you wonder why you know why you don't that's not in the general lexicon of conversation so we break down one of the movies kind of the same thing you guys do here you know it's a little free-flowing uh we talk about you know everything around the movie what we what we thought about the movie And just kind of its uh, uh, reception and what audiences thought about it and why it wasn't forgotten. Uh, We started this uh may of 2019 so we're still going strong and uh yeah that's it's uh well i I love talking about movies so the podcast comes very easy for me
0: (laughs) yeah no absolutely and you guys are like what season eight now just started right
1: yeah we just started season eight uh we break them up so we can just have different things going on like our season five was audience choice so we had we had people throw suggestions at us and we we chose them uh, it was good to start, but we got some movies that we were just like, oh, I can't find anything nice to say about this. One. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's good.
0: That's good. Um, what's your latest episode?
1: Uh, the one that just came out was uh, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. Uh, Ooh, nice and- oh, one. Nice. Yeah, yeah, we we, one. we tried to do a couple. We've tried to do a, a few Valentine's Day uh, movies for the for the month of February. So we did Beautiful Girls before that, and I oh, think nice, next yeah. week we've got I Love You to Death, the Kevin Klein movie. Oh, oh my god! I forgot about that. I, one. I know yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> that's kind of the point of your show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's great. So, how did you know? You guys did an episode on the thief back in, in November. Why did you guys pick that one? Why do you? Why did it stick out to you?
1: Well, the one thing about our uh, the one thing about myself and my uh, partner Mike Butler, the two Mikes, is that he is about ten to thirteen years younger than me. So yeah. I'm I'm in my mid forties. He's you know in his early thirties and we so i've experienced some of these movies that he has never seen before and yeah. so a lot of times we'll pick them i'll pick a movie that i know he hasn't seen because i'm really curious his reaction to it you know given his age and the movies that he's been experienced and what i've seen i love michael Mann. so oh, i love yeah. yeah i love his movies like you could see his movie and be like that's a man film like i just i so when we talk i talk about all the other michael Mann movies but we never i never really talk enough about with people so that's yeah. why we had on the list. That's why we wanted to do it, and it uh, it paid off because that was that's one of our favorite episodes.
0: That's great. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, so Chris, do you want to give us the overview on Thief and what it's all about, like the general
2: stuff? For sure. So, I mean, this is a movie that uh, is yeah somewhat forgotten, but it's also kind of emblazoned in us. Can we call ourselves manheads? Is that dumb? It's pretty <laughs> <Yeah>. dumb. <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm going with it. Uh, I mean, it's it. it, it it's something that you know a lot of people were waiting for because, like you said, it was not on home video for a long time. And uh, you know, Dan and I, you, you were we were born right after the movie came out. Um, and it's got uh, the, the probably the shortest log line of any movie we've covered here on Film Trace. Uh, <laughs> a former ace safecracker played by James Khan is trying to go straight if he can score one last big heist for the mob. Like that's like I... classic <laughs> old school, like one last job. And you think that, you know, I remember throwing this on when it was finally released on home video, because like you, Dan, I've been obsessed with heat. I actually think, I I mean, maybe this is heretical, but I maybe like the insider of a a couple, a couple notches more. Okay, Um, That's
0: that's an interesting, interesting take. (laughs)
2: Yeah. (laughs) Um, but, uh, and so I was honestly very, uh, skeptical, like, okay, so it's, it's a debut feature. Um, we'll probably see some of those signature, uh, man moves, but it, 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 I'm guessing it's a work in progress, but, uh, I remember being so blown away cause I don't think it's, I don't think it's that much lower in quality than heat or the insider.
0: No, I don't think so at all. It's definitely, I someone said this, he's like, man just came fully formed right Mm -hmm. in this film like and there's so many things about it that sort of stick out the the style especially the story stuff and sort of the technical aspects are definitely all there but it's just like the man vibe is there Mm -hmm. uh and it's like is it easy to imitate that vibe i don't know it seems pretty specific to him uh and you can just pick it out immediately and there's some shots in here like looking i think heat is probably in my top five films of all time which is kind of maybe ridiculous to say but it's true um and i watch it every you know once every two or a couple times a year there's just shots in here that beat some of the better shots in heat i mean it's just beautiful stuff in this film um you know and i think it just kind of started out and talk about what this movie is all about it has a very very genre-y start right uh the criminal who had a tough life was in prison for a long time i think 10 years or something like that basically all of his 20s were in prison went to prison essentially for stealing forty dollars so part of his life has been totally sort of um, removed Uh, and now he's out still committing crimes but he wants to go straight it's a classic tale classic noir tale um and i think that you know from that foundation that genre foundation man does all of these different flourishes not just with like the cinema cinematography but also with the writing and the characters and james khan i mean (laughs) he he shows up here um and it's interesting to do older or do younger people would they even number one know about this movie and how do they know james khan do they know him from what from From vegas (laughs) which is a great yeah. movie <laughs> yeah right they're gonna know him from elf right um what else he did the voice in uh cloudy with a chance of meatballs uh he was in bottle rocket which i know is uh chris and i is one of our favorite films mm-hmm. uh and he almost plays like a, a parody of himself in that i think yes. it seems like yeah uh and so james con is just you know super powerful in this um you know like where do you think this came from, man? Why is man so fully formed here? Why do we think that that is like, how, where did he come from? Like, why is his debut film better than 99% of, you know, films where someone had been doing it for a decade or so? What do you guys think is special about man where he sort of showed up and hit a home run on his first film?
1: Uh, he's a, He's got great confidence. Great filmmakers have to have confidence in what they want to put on screen. It's not just, they're trying to please anyone they know that he has a vision and he's confident in his vision he wants to use you know he wants to be as realistic as possible on screen yeah. and i think when you have confidence like that you're that that's going to show through uh in anything you do and he's got a he's got he just has a style that he believes in and he goes for it and he just it's it just works it, it you know it may, it may not work for some other people but it works for him
0: yeah no 100 percent. i think he yeah he's uh he had some success when he was younger right like he got into film got his master's in film in london spent some time in the uk doing commercials then he got into tv for a while uh and then he shows up with thief and just sort of i think knocks it out of the park it is interesting though that you know us at our age we view thief as like oh this is a really good film obviously but back then it it kind of was a dud right like it did not Mm -hmm. really connect with people um like it connects with like film nerds and film snobs right (laughs) it's just what we are (laughs) right let's all be honest um it is fascinating that like what do you uh, there's one the one thing that sort of stands out to me in sort of thinking about the film when it came out was that why didn't it connect with people You know, why didn't this film, which we see as fully formed and really interesting and up there with Insider, up there with Heat, uh, especially a movie like Heat, which is just, you know, a cultural icon of a film. What was it about this film and what he was doing here that didn't connect in the 1981? And maybe we don't know because we're (laughs) we're, we weren't, you know, adults at that time. But I mean, what do you got what comes to mind as to why this wouldn't connect with that time period?
2: I mean, I think one of the things to really take into consideration for the context here is the neo noir genre that
0: sure. was
2: kind of uh, stumbling along for basically three decades until the Coen brothers came along, basically, and yeah. popularized the genre or revitalized the genre. Um, and, you know, you had, like, once again, great films in retrospect coming out in the 70s and 80s that matched that kind of very atmospheric moody crime film uh vibe but i mean like long goodbye like it's seen as a masterpiece today but it was kind of one of altman's duds back in the day um totally yeah the only exception to this rule is probably chinatown right um sure and so i think it's interesting to see that this was kind of like a hit or miss uh attempt and you know man making that classic jump from TV to film, and we see it, once again, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. he, I think you hit the nail on the head, Mike, is like he had this confidence, and he just, he, and his confidence was so singular that he, you know, one of the probably uh, lines that keep coming up in interviews about the production of Thief is just, you know, these arduous work days where they would just put in this elbow grease, and as, has been the case so many times before in film history you have a tendency to you know not people don't see that when they see it on the screen for the first time it takes that time it takes the aging process to really sit in and uh congeal until people finally realize like how much specific work went into making this movie because now we have the whole filmography of michael mann out in front of us and yeah. we can point it all directly back to Thief.
0: Right. You know yeah, what? and that reminds yeah. me of like, oh Mike, go ahead.
1: I was just gonna just piggyback uh on the why this maybe didn't get, you know, acclaimed when it came out. You also have, you're in 81, you're at the beginning of the you know, the blockbuster. Mm. You know, you have Jaws yeah, at 75, true. you got Star Wars 77, and that's all they're probably looking at. That's all that the studios are probably Looking to put money behind and that's all the audiences are looking for. So maybe this is one of those movies that doesn't fit within that framework of the big summer blockbuster. Yeah, it kind of gets lost, which is probably uh, a case for a lot of a lot of movies that come out around this time that are, you know, just as good as Thief.
0: Yeah, no, hundred percent. Like it has a very sort of it has a sheen and a richness to it that may have been over the heads of people, or just sort of in the marketing and stuff. They'd be like, "Well, what is this all about?" right?
2: <laughs> and um, man had that confidence, but like overall, the film feels pretty modest, uh, yeah. especially for eighty one. Like there, mean? I mean, like it. Like we just mentioned with the logline, like it's a very simple story, and yeah, it's that's it, true. Oh, it's that's it's point. quiet, right? uh yeah. you know there's like this the um, <laughs> incredible shootout at the end but other than that like the movie's pretty low-key especially yeah. when you compare it i mean mikey made a great point 1981 the biggest blockbuster of that year was raiders of the lost ark and number two is on golden pond so like thief doesn't <laughs> doesn't match with either of those in any way
0: it doesn't really register does it i guess on that level and sort of that blockbuster um popcorn level um well, let's, let's dive into how this thing actually came into being, because I think it's a pretty fascinating story. I mean, out of the notes that we have about the conception of this film, you know, the one that really sticks out to me is how it actually got made, mm-hmm. right? So, um, you know, uh, James Con sitting on the set of, I guess it's Godfather Chapter 2. Uh, he's outside his trailer. Michael Mann, who a guy he doesn't know, says, hey, can I talk to you? Uh, he says, can, can I show you a script that I've written? Uh, and then James Con reads it. And then essentially gets the thing. It loves it. Gets this thing in motion. Uh, and he gets Jerry Brockheimer. And I guess his brother also, Ronnie, was a producer on this, which he mm-hmm. didn't really produce much after that. Um, it's just a weird sort of, does that happen now? Like, you think about, like, how this kind of came into being. It seems a lot of happenstance. Number one, why was Michael Mann on set? Does anybody know? Can we, can we figure that out? Why he, Why he was there? Maybe he, like he speak was on set.
2: Right. Making a commercial next door or an episode of some, you know, TV show. And he just wanders over and he's thinking, okay, which of these actors are rich? I'm going to stand by their trailer. (laughs) (laughs) But it also seems like, I mean, can you imagine any other actor in this role? That's what seems so insane to me is that, like, he walks up to the trailer of this person and it's like a one in a million shot. But James Caan is game from get-go.
1: So one of my notes from our previous episode was that Jeff Bridges was man's
0: first choice to play for. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, could you guys see that? Like, no, how do you? Absolutely. I, <laughs> I, I don't, can see a shimmer of it, but like, no, not the core, not the I, core no. of who this person is. All I
1: think about is the scene in the diner, and I can't think of anybody else doing that scene <laughs> but Khan. No.
0: And that's not the scene in the diner is like the one that sticks out. It's James Khan, you know, it's his favorite scene that I think he's ever filmed. He said that multiple times um you're right that's a it's a very tough scene to pull off mm-hmm. as an actor because I'll be honest I think some of the dialogue in this film is not great uh <laughs> it's a little hammy uh and I think maybe that little some of that's on purpose because of the genre but a little it's sort of not great writing by man and I think we see that play out in his career a little bit more in his later films Miami Vice um and so without Khan in this film would it ever really work. And I think that like he he is the center of this film for the most part. He's not only the you know the central actor, but he's the, one of the reasons it got made. Uh and like this film probably doesn't happen without his connections, without his clout. Um, you know, Michael Mann didn't know Jerry Brockheimer, right? So right. I mean it's sort of those things where he sort of brought it all together. One thing I, I I know too from like reading sort of the interviews and what Michael Mann was thinking about this film. You know, the the thing that we sort of already brought up he had this confidence right but where does that confidence come from it comes from a lot of research it seems like like this guy did not go into this script sort of being like oh i'm gonna write like a noir film or a crime film he goes in and like reads like technical manuals about how to do stuff like this how to break into a safe he talks to criminals and thieves you know incessantly and brings them on set uh to sort of do this he has like this level of almost like professionalism in what he's doing to start out that really i think shines through and like if you look at the stuff where he talks about like what frank is all about frank is not he's a multi-layered character from the beginning. He's not just like a flat sort of a protagonist. He's a thief. That's it. There's this deep, deep, deep backstory to what's going on here. I think that's one of the reasons why it works so well. Um, Do you think in terms of that, I think we can probably agree that one of the reasons why this movie works so well is James Caan. Do we think that that's him mostly or the script? Like where does that sort of, um, richness and sort of success come from in, in the film do you think it's the writing or more his acting
2: i think that i mean it's got to be the dynamic it's got to be the relationship that was formed between man and con from the start because the not, thing that keeps coming to my mind as you're talking about this dan is we did the episode last week on the little things and yeah. there was uh, a, a a strong question about you know what went wrong with that movie in the conception and production, and it seemed like there was this very strange dynamic between the writer director John Lee Hancock and the star Denzel Washington. And there also, once again, you have like this moody, noir kind of story with a protagonist that has this very deep troubled past. But it's just so messy in that movie, and it's so clean in this one. It's deep, yeah. It's complex, yes. But it's like it, it, it's crystal clear all the way through from the opening shot to the ending shot, you know who this guy is. And so, you know, the, you think about the conversations and Denzel getting set up in a trailer in, uh, you know, 2020, it's very different than like Khan, who's like at the top of his game, you know, less than a decade after the Godfather and man who's coming out of the gate and had just done all this research. Um, not just, uh, for thief, but, Um, The TV movie where he spent uh, a long period of time in Folsom prison, befriending criminals and doing, you know, like one on one research there. And also like the reason he kind of got his foot uh, into the game in the first place was because of a short documentary he filmed about the uh, 1968 uprising in Paris, which he was like right in the midst, like in the throes of it. So like this is you've got a guy that's not afraid to put himself in danger and do the work with another guy who's not afraid to of danger or putting in the work and it's just golden
0: no absolutely um and in terms of like the other people that that showed up on this set who do we think stands out as a side character do we think tuesday well did pretty well i mean that's one of the things that i've heard a little bit of criticism on this film is that they think her performance is kind of okay i mean robert prosky is, I think, amazing. Willie Nelson, James Belushi. Who do you guys think, you know, Mike, who do you think really stood out as a side character here?
1: Probably Prosky. I think Tuesday yeah. Weld is just a little underwritten. I mean, I don't know if, if I think a lot of her stuff was taken out too. I'm not sure if <laughs> yeah. that's accurate, but I know that he, I don't think man was a big fan. Um, but uh, Prosky, that was like, I think this was Prosky's first film. Yeah. Like, I think yeah. so.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, he's, he's a, it, it's funny because you have, Prosky has to be terrifying. He has to be scary enough for Khan, but Khan is already terrifying, so it's kind of <laughs> tough to. I mean, it's kind of tough to over terrify Khan. Like, there's I, one of my notes was that um, so the scene where James Khan is uh, looking at the doctor, and it, it's when they're in the hospital, and I guess Khan decided he was just going to stare at the doctor and not say anything, yeah. just and like. <laughs> the reaction from the doctor when he's like, is everything all right? That was like legit. The actor was scared. He didn't know. He he didn't realize what was going on. He, and Khan scared him. So it's like, geez. It's like, I don't, I mean, but I think Prosky does a good, it's no nonsense. It's, he does a good job of just laying it out and, and, and basically kind of pushing Khan to the point at the end where it's like, you have to be able to burn everything and go. You just have to be able to do that. Um, so I think Prosky mostly. Yeah, that
0: one scene where um, they have a uh, barrier, I guess, James Belushi, where he's dead and they different, I <laughs> guess, whatever he dip him. his yeah, little <laughs> thing there like that. You know, James Conn is scary, but somebody like that prosky saying stuff like that and the way that he's saying it. That's like riveting and terrifying at the same time. Like you believe him. Oh yeah. You believe him that he will do those things to you and your family Mm -hmm. and he will not hold back. And he has that sort of um, super authoritative sort of uh, stance there, which I thought he was fantastic. Um, What What do you guys guys make of
2: Willie Nelson and Belushi in this? I mean, I I knew it from from the time that I saw Curly Sue in the theater as a (laughs) nine-year-old I was like, this guy's going places. He's not just <laughs> Jim, He's not just John's brother. No, yeah. I, I mean, honestly, like, I, I, one of the most satisfying roles I've seen J- James Belushi in is probably the third season of Twin Peaks, and that's kind of where my uh, opinion of him changed qu- pretty abruptly. And that was yeah. also right around the time when I saw Thief for the first time. And so having that back to back, and I didn't know, not knowing that James Belushi was going to show up in Thief when I turned it on, it was just it, it just felt felt like kismet. It's like he he's kind of finally found his way to go full circle, and now both James Belushi and uh, Khan are like Twitter darlings as like you know funny old grandpas that don't know how to tweet, and <laughs> uh, there's like this there's there is something there it's it, i think a lot of the movie's underwritten and that's kind of part of the point of it is that it's you know traffics and archetypes um and uh th- there's going to be some uh, downsides to that but honestly like I, I really liked i wanted to see more i al- almost wanted like a spin-off tv series where we see more of like the the jobs that uh belushi oh, and yeah, khan yeah. do together uh it's small but like even just him like walking out of the ocean and like, of course, he has like this beautiful girl on the side, and yeah, yeah, yeah. he's just like this schlubby guy. But uh, he's <laughs> he's a, he's a great sidekick. I was I I I loved watching it.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that we, the, a point you brought up there about the jobs themselves, and that's definitely a man a manism, where he shows the specific and technical details of how to break into a safe throughout this film there's and there's two main scenes the the opening one i think is very fantastic but the the main job in los angeles where i don't even know what they're doing i can't really i know i'm not into like i don't know smelting is that what you call that i don't know what
1: they're doing yeah they're burning uh they that's the huge rod of metal that gets super hot and he's just pushing it through the safe to burn all the mechanisms out so burning a hole through it
0: no i mean those scenes are just Awesome. I mean <laughs> is that like a is it well is that like a dude thing is that a like, a male thing to like be really fascinated by like melting metal you know what really got me like one of my favorite scenes in this movie is where um uh, Barry is uh doing voltage detection on lines to figure out whether it's a phone line or not mm-hmm. and i was like i could literally just watch them do that for 20 minutes and just go back <laughs> I was like, there's there's something almost like a slow tv element to it where it becomes very hypnotic you but know that is that is one of his trademarks
2: right it's he, one of those connections i feel of uh going back to prosky's character of like the paternalism Right. Like yeah. I, I get total like I mean, I grew up with a single mom, but I got total yeah. vibes of like just like sitting and watching a dad do stuff. And it's just like, yeah. oh, cool. That's how you do it. And it just totally. fe- there's something comforting and just nurturing about it.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, I think one thing we should talk about, too, I mean, we talk about the production. You know, obviously, James Con talks about, you know, they started Monday mornings at 6 a.m., worked for 18 hours straight and that was like a normal day for them um that's pretty intense i would say and i think man sort of brings that intensity and has his entire career um you know do we see that sort of play out in the film does it seem like a movie that has been labored over on that level in terms of not just the writing but actually you know the shots and the cinematography does it have do you think that 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 level of production is shown through in what we see
1: well, Everything's very dirty and gritty. So, I, think, <laughs> I mean, I mean, if everybody looks worn down, I think it's on purpose. Uh, you yeah. know, it's just, it adds to it. Just everything, like, one of the things I love about 70s films and early 80s films is just how nothing looks perfect. It's all just, yeah, you know, it's, there's, it just reminds me of indie features, indie films. And, you know, there's a, there's a bit of a connection there with me that I just, i just like that I, I don't like everything being perfect on screen i don't mind the dirt so i think it, it only yeah. adds
0: to it well it's interesting you say that because like man has that weird high low element to his work right like there's there's shots in this the one that really sticks out in my head is after the scene where Prosky sort of um you know warrants him when he's gonna do his family and stuff he's driving to his car deal or no actually before that he's driving to his car dealership and it's like a shot of the hood of his car mm-hmm. right with all of the neon signs reflecting off it and he holds it for like 10 seconds with this beautiful soundtrack in the back so there is this almost poetry mm-hmm. uh, to what he's doing this um, lushness But at the same time, you're right. It's super gritty. Um, And if you think about, you know, especially the ending with the blood and the violence, uh, it's almost like a little bit over the top. He does that sort of back and forth really easily. Um, And does that is that something that 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 we think went on throughout his career? Do we see that in Miami Vice or was Miami Vice not good because it was all the sheen (laughs) and not the grittiness? (laughs)
2: I mean that, that you, oh no you're you're opening up a can of worms I want to stay in 81 I don't want to talk about <laughs> I mean I think that I, I, the shortest answer that I can muster to that question yeah. is yeah. like uh, I mean it's the it's this it's a similar issue I think with like musicians right is that you know they they I mean we are almost always uh, more drawn to early work because it feels more raw it's like they're still figuring stuff out they're younger and and i mean i think michael mann for better or worse like i don't like there's there's things i like about miami vice and public and no i can't even say that um <laughs> but <laughs> but it just like he he's kind of running things by the numbers i i have to admit i still haven't seen black Hat, and i don't know if i should well
0: i kind of want to dig i want to dig deeper on that part of it though like i i would say that as someone who you know loves his work you know thief manhunter and you know like going up to heat there's definitely a period there mm. where it's like oh like this is fine all cylinders right as you get to Miami Vice and uh, Black Hat, which I did see, unfortunately, um, there seems to be something missing, and I want to find out what's missing. What's in Thief that's not in Miami Vice and not in Black Hat?
1: Well, is Miami like, Vice what's here? Is the, did you? I know there's an extended version of Miami Vice. Did you see that? Because I, I have that, not
0: seen the direct. No, I, I not heard seen the that's direct direct. better.
1: I heard that's much better. So yeah, I, uh, that's. But I'll say this: like with Collateral, even okay, because okay, it's yeah. shot all on digital. It's got that graininess to it. It's got that dirt that kind of is reminiscent. And with the insider, you know, it, mm-hmm. the, that kind of adds to the, like the docudrama of it, just because it's you know just what the subject matter is about. Um, so I think those two films stand out to me as in terms of maybe more uh, earlier period man than it than yeah. maybe newer. Um, he doesn't have a lot of uh, he doesn't have a huge. Uh, stable of films that he that you can no. really you know go to so he, he whether he picks and chooses or whether he just you know needs something to inspire him
0: right yeah no absolutely yeah, i think there's yeah there's just something special about this this one though right about thief in general there's there is and maybe it's the chicago part of it which is almost like its own character in this film and i think you know i forget who said this in one of the reviews uh but um you know Chicago's, Chicago is, I guess, the real... I think Scott Tobias in The Dissolve. He said, Chicago's the real villain in this huh. movie. And not just the city, but the type of corruption that runs Chicago. Um, and I would say, and I think I said this in a text to Chris, this is the only movie I've ever seen that makes Chicago look cool. Because um, we grew <laughs> up in this sort of shadow of Chicago. We know Chicago super well. We're there all, you know, all the time growing up. Uh, and it never came across as a cool place to me. Not even The future. It not even the fugitive uh, i mean the fugitive okay that's a good point that's a good yeah. point yeah that's a good point. Uh, but is i mean is chicago cool in the fillet in the <laughs> fugitive it's more just like upper middle class he's running around chicago yeah True. this True. just kind of cool has set like uh, yeah. this like o- almost makes it seem as cool as new york which of course it's not but uh there's something about it like how will you know the chicago environment how do you guys think that really played into like could you set this in phoenix and it would be the same
2: <laughs> oh hell no i mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I think it it might be as simple as this and i thought of this when you mentioned james Con being in bottle rocket and uh, uh wes anderson was also kind of the director that managed to come pretty fully formed maybe not as fully formed as man um because he he hadn't you know, experience with commercials and TV, like Man did, but uh, a- Anderson uh, set his debut in the town that he was born and grew up in, and yeah. Man did the same thing here with Thief. Like he very easily, it might have been easier for him to say, "Oh, it's fine. Let's just shoot it in LA or New York," and that, and it it would still have been a very good movie. But the fact that he didn't, and the fact that it is one of the few neo noirs that isn't set in la or new york makes it that much more special and i think one other aspect of this that is just like turns everything on its head um well first of all i did want to mention real quick that the i mean the fact that so much of it is set at night right uh of course, yeah. it, chicago does not look pretty in the daytime no. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> that's part of it but then and i, I say that too as a pre- precursor to this i mean we haven't mentioned the mute the music a lot yet i mean tangerine sure. dreams soundtrack and i mean that's coming from germany and so when you're like ha- and there's also kind of like this uh almost like asian influence of uh the lights and symmetry and reflective imagery uh where you you're it. you're basically showing chicago through this filter of this very worldly view there's a guy our director born in chicago educated in wisconsin and then spent a large part of his the beginning of his adult life in europe and so it's 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 like looking at it through this interesting kaleidoscope like there's even like glimmers of like uh i think one of the things in the criterion essay is how it almost feels a little bit like blade runner coming the year after
0: yeah totally
2: the way the the colors and the industriousness of the setting, uh, feel. And I mean, that, that was the key to it is like finding, uh, the beauty of Chicago in the nighttime and in the background music and all of that. And that's ultimately what makes thief so singular in a visual and sonic sense. And I think that's what makes Chicago work so well for it.
0: Well, it's interesting. Like in one of the interviews, he said he, he wanted to put Chicago blues in it that's sort of the music that he fell in love with in chicago and sort of he basically said i I went away from that because i wanted what does he say uh i I felt that would be so regionally specific in the music choice it would make frank's experience specific only to frank so i wanted the kind of transparency if you like the formality of electronic music and hence tangerine dream like that's a pretty astute i mean that's a pretty amazing choice when you think about it like if someone's thinking on that level that's just I don't know, that doesn't seem like a normal filmmaker would
2: think that way. Right. Like that's it, a
0: very sort of is, maybe no, pretentious left a, like, a left
2: field choice. And in the yeah. the DvD commentary, uh I read a write up on that in Film School Rejects, like Khan is constantly making fun of man for having chosen Tangerine Dream. Because especially for somebody like Khan who's like this like rough and tumble working class guy, but then also went off to acting school, uh he he, he's like totally lost with this left field choice um you know he would think like either do the blues thing because that makes sense it's you know low class uh uh, according to the archetype but or you go with the traditional orchestral score and i mean that's, that's just so amazing i mean obviously it wasn't that out of place in the 80s uh but the fact that he centers it so much in the film is what makes it so special i think
0: Mike, what did you make of the music in this? Did you, do you think that like it, it adds a lot to it? It's funny. Uh, I Wasn't this their first movie that they scored? I think it was. It was yeah, one yeah. of the first that they actually did, yeah. Because
1: I know they got voted – they got like a Razzie uh, nomination. Right,
0: yeah. <laughs> I just – I can't even fathom. That's well, one of that's the reasons the I asked yeah. that question. It's like why did this not – it seems like some of, this, some of this film just did not connect with 1991 at all. Well – And the music must have been part of it.
1: Watch – like – Watching it when the music comes on at first, you're just kind of like, what? This doesn't, this doesn't make, it doesn't, it doesn't fit, but then it's looking back on it from 40 years from, you're just like, well, it's the eighties. Okay. This makes sense. But back then when it first came on, I I can imagine people were just like, what the, (laughs) you know what I mean? They must've been, they, they must've been expecting the usual uh, suspects in terms of music beats and, 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 you know what the, what this type of movie would come okay well this is the type of score it's going to be but it's just it it thinking back and watching it i'm perfectly okay with it i like it a lot i think it yeah. gives it it adds something to it but i can understand it being off-putting for somebody who's yeah, not totally. familiar with tangerine dream or not familiar with their you know ascension in the 80s uh yeah. it's, you know and just kind of like where they where they come from and where they are now where they were um now just it's. I can see it both ways. I love it. I mean, it it fits for me because you just you get into it. it yeah. See from the start though, with this movie, from the start when he's busting into that safe, and then you realize yeah. that he's really busting into that safe. Like it's not, like it's not fake. It's not props. They bought a safe. They, yeah, they yeah. bought all the tools. Like when you realize that, you're like, okay, I'm i I'm, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's let's let's, <laughs> let's see legit. some more. Yeah, exactly.
0: Right. <laughs> this is totally
1: legit. So the movie just I adds to that.
2: And what yeah. I'm realizing right now, I mean, we're talking about 1981. This is also the year of Escape from New York and John Carpenter's, you know, oh, yeah. iconic synth score. Uh, you know, three years after Halloween, and I mean, I think that there's also like that grittiness to that movie that we like you were saying, Mike. If you if you matched it with something else gritty sonically, it would it either be too much or it would be rote. Um, but by contrasting, juxtaposing it with this kind of buzzing electronic music, it just, I mean, it hits, it hits harder. Like I, I, I think the movie would be a little less memorable, Mm -hmm. a little less special if they went with something a little more traditional or went with the weird blues idea.
1: (laughs) It kind of makes you, it makes you pay attention. It makes you, you know what I mean? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, I think it's one thing too, there's, there's multiple things in this film that, you know, part of it seems pretty genre pretty cliche very simple story but there's all these interesting flourishes the music um the uh i think frank almost like cites the communist manifesto mm-hmm. when he's talking to leo and about his money i mean that was like like word for word marks what he's saying about worker being alienated, my labor all this sort of stuff you wouldn't hear that in a normal sort of film in 1981 i don't think um, and then it's interesting too, like man did um an interview about this, and someone asked him about the movie Drive. And yes. he goes, Thief has a different purpose. Uh, if someone asks me what's thief to you, to me it's a left existentialist critique of corporate capitalism. <laughs> That's what thief is. Uh, what is interesting is that no critics in the US got that, no critics in the UK got that. Every critic in France got it when the film came out. It was like a crazy kind of cultural litmus test or something. I think man said that like in 2014 or something. That's I mean, like, you know, watching this film, I've watched it a couple of times, um, you know, and like that's a little bit of my background is sort of the Marxist left critique stuff. Like I did that sort of literary theory uh, in school. Uh, I saw that in the film, but I can't even imagine what a normal viewer when they Uh hear that Uh stuff. Do they pick up on that? Number one. Two, is it jarring? Does it make it seem weird or odd? Um, and if man had this intention, um, you know, how does that sort of play out in the film? Did you guys see that? Do you think it's a left existentialist critique of corporate capitalism?
2: <laughs> well, you take that one, Mike. Uh
1: yeah, go for I, it, Mike. I I uh, I would assume that man was drinking one night and he was just probably like, <laughs> you know, talking about it with, oh yeah, that's exactly what it's about. I, like, <laughs> like, Drive, I like Drive, but does Drive get made if if they didn't watch Thief? I mean, I right, love, no, like, you know what I mean? Like, no. that's the kind of yeah. thing, like Drive is almost like, oh, I, I watch Thief or movies like Thief and I want to do something like that that inspired me. Thief is just kind of like... M- m- like out of note, like man it's it's from man so it's like it's yeah. just from his own experience and it, i think that's what makes it a little bit more special but no he's totally he's totally you know sitting sitting on the sitting on the stage and, and just kind of like pontificating to a whole bunch of film guys you know about like,
0: what <laughs> yeah man. yeah and, and of course i would eat it up i'd be like oh wow what a genius yeah absolutely
2: yeah i mean there there is there's an interesting detail that uh uh points out uh because he he was kind of in on it supposedly depending on what version of this you believe but um that he you specifically used the word electited when he is oh, yeah, yeah. referring to like the the basically the the argument with prosky's character right um and you know is that is that a clue because it's a pretty esoteric word especially for a you know a thief in a crime movie to use in the 80s um but also, I think man made a good point in a lot of his research done at Folsom Prison and um, uh, uh, during the uprising in France, uh, where he wanted to really add into it. And I th- if he did it on purpose, you know, in advance of this, and not, you know, <laughs> pontificating, I think that's very possible. <laughs> many years after the fact, um, he did it with this knowledge in mind that. A he wants to respect the kind of character that Khan is playing, right? That uh, in yeah. all, in most cases, with all that time that's spent in prison, the uh, especially you know people that are prone to want to educate and do things on their own, and a lot of criminals are because they're self made people. Even if they get caught yeah. and put to prison, they they do end up educating themselves on a lot of these kinds of uh theories or practicality because like one of the only things they have access to other than you know workout equipment and working in a you know uh license plate factory uh yeah. is books and i i did like that that there was an element there that you could there's a, a possible reading anyways it's not overt there's a possible reading here that khan's character did do a lot of thinking about what he wanted his life to be like when he eventually got released And it wasn't just in terms of, like, I want to take over Willie Nelson's thievery business and make bank. It's that he wanted to make sure that he was taking back the means of production. I don't know.
0: Uh, Oh, I love There you go, Chris. (laughs) I love that. That's good. What do we, you know, that's interesting you say that, you know, one of the things that sticks out to me in this movie and connect it directly to Robert De Niro's character and he is this clear vision of what they want you know james Con's his frank's collage in this <laughs> is kind of bizarre yeah it's right? a weird that's kind it's of a weird, a weird thing. thing uh what do we like what is man going for there like here's just a man that has lost a lot and knows exactly what he wants and what he's going for is he do you think man's like criticizing that concept of having a specific plan because he ends up burning down his bar and his business and sending his wife away like um what is man i do you guys think you know in terms of having that specific vision and how it ends what is he what is he trying to say here
1: you can't tame that beast you can't control that life you know yeah con's got an idea that he's going to do it his way and he's going to you know change his fortune and like you even see that when he tries to adopt the kid and he starts flipping yeah. up because they won't let him have the kid and he just starts i don't care i'll take anything you know it's just like he's he, th- he wants what he wants and he's not going to, you know, be deterred. Even like you have the, the, when he's trying to adopt the kid. And then when he's, when they have that great moment in the courthouse, when he's trying to bribe the judge and the throwing up the fingers and the lawyers, you know? So, yeah. Oh yeah. The bribe. Man. Yeah. So he's, he is somebody who wants to get what he wants, but basically at the end, he can't, he, he can't have that. He won't, he, and he has to, he has to come to that realization when he's staring in the mirror at the end and it freeze frames and he's like staring at himself. It's almost like at that moment, he's like, it's just not going to happen. And he's got to burn yeah. it all down. And I think that, you know, the whole postcard, the whole, the collage is just, it's nice to think about, but you know, he's Frank's got to realize it's not going to ever happen.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's a great quote from man who's usually uh verbose, but a very simple response to the question, where is, khan's character walking to after the shootout at the end right there's that yeah, you know yeah. beautiful slow lift as he walks down the sidewalk uh camera at his back and man responds to the question he's going nowhere yeah and it's just yeah. like i mean yeah that that's so maybe maybe there is an existential piece to this that uh was oh, yeah was thought yeah. out so oh, i think
0: there is i think it's pretty explicit the existentialist part of it yeah. i mean like he literally, he, he, you know, he has this, he burns everything down. Right. Like, he didn't, why did he have to do that, right? It doesn't actually kind of make sense on some level. He was going to kill Leo and his crew no matter what. Why does he have to get rid of the rest of his life? There's a very sort of deliberate act of erasure of, like, I'm starting over again. Which is something that I think, you know, some people do. I've done it myself, you know. I haven't Nick murdered people. <laughs> but I've definitely uh, and now it's on and someone, tape. Yeah, wait, wait a second. <laughs> the internet's forever. Um no, but I think that like there is there's a very sort of specific thing that he is going for and trying like a an itch that he's trying to scratch with with I think specifically the male viewer, where it's sort of like this desire to just really become something brand new Hmm. right uh and when it doesn't work out you just burn it all down get rid of it and start over again i mean it's also a very american thing Mm -hmm. you know the constantly striving towards a new new life a better life something new so future oriented and the past is basically meaningless um Okay, so we've talked a lot about what we love about this film. I think we got to say some negative things. What are some bad things about the? <laughs> well, I did want something yeah. that's that's not great about this.
2: There, there's a there's a couple quotes because, like you said, it was not g- very well received when it came no, out. Um, and uh, we, I mean, we talk a lot about the more modern critics uh, that you know either bash or praise a lot of these films, and we see you know whether or not. According to critical acclaim, uh, did these films succeed? And uh, there is a guy that I've done a lot of reading of that uh, I, I kind of hate. Um, from the New York Times, his name's Vincent Canby. He was he w- he was at probably the the towards the end of his career at the Times uh, when Thief came out, and he was basically panning everything. Um, but he has a very interesting quote in his negative review of the film. Uh, Mr. Man may well become a very good theatrical filmmaker, but among other things, he's going to have to learn how to edit himself to resist the temptation to allow dialogue that is colorful to turn all of a sudden into deep abiding purple. I mean, they, I mean, there there's, I, I disagree clearly because yeah. I've been saying nothing but good things about this movie, but there is a reading of this movie that I think is somewhat fair that because it so heavily traffics in archetypes and uh, there are some cornball moments, especially if you you know take the Razzie's side of how the soundtrack plays in conjunction with it. But, it, it, I mean, there are a couple moments, I guess, in the movie where I'm like, this is... I, it takes me out. Like, I don't feel that gritty realism um, or I'm too... Uh, taken aback by just how silly it all is even if i'm considering the time period that it's 40 years ago now uh as of this year um where like for instance that i mean i had i had similar issues with manhunter which is kind of sure. crazy to say because so many people love that movie and i in many ways love that movie but there i mean the, the shootout scene at the end is, is it's it's a li- it's a it's a little much it's a little it's a little corny yeah
0: yeah well, it's, it's funny you said that, like, that's a, I, I read that interview, or that review, and I was like, well, that's terrible, that's all wrong, <laughs> um, and, but it's interesting, I think I found someone who's a real man-hater, if you will, uh, Richard Brody at The New Yorker, who oh, I have yes. a weird love-hate relationship with, <laughs> yeah. uh, sometimes I love his work, sometimes I actually hate it, he, I came across this, I haven't read the whole thing, I've read parts of it, but check this out, The Stylish Empty Realism of Michael Mann uh so they did like a retrospective at bam uh of all his films and he really rips uh, (laughs) into shreds i mean it's like really fascinating how he goes on he basically this uh, what he's essentially saying is that man is just style and there's not really a lot of substance behind him and i have to completely disagree like you look at all the notes that we have for this movie and everything that he's talking about there's so much intention in the substance here uh so i don't really yeah i mean but it's if you are kind of of that school of thought check that out richard brody at the new yorker wrote that like four or five years ago uh and it's a good refutation of michael mann's career uh so mike what do you where do you place thief in sort of your ranking of uh, michael mann films uh oh. in his career where would you put it you think uh,
1: what's my favorite man film then uh let's yeah.
0: see um, and where's Thief? is like thief up there or-
1: yeah, I, I I mean I really like the Insider. I love the performances in the Insider. I, yeah, the, yeah, it's just Russell Crowe's really good in that. He's so uh, it's, it's really good. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I I like Heat, but I mean, I, there's nothing the uh, Heat overall. I I probably obviously the scene I like the most is the scene that everybody likes is the shootout. But that yeah, scene yeah. is that that shootout is uh, is probably you could you could make an argument that's like maybe you know your top five scenes of all time in terms of in in, in that kind of genre it's just no music it's just the the action just the it's just so good um i i really probably say thief is up there it's got to be top one or two i mean he hasn't done a lot that's the thing it's just he hasn't he doesn't done a time you know ali for me was a little long i thought that Mm. was it just you know manhunter's got it's tough with manhunter because i like manhunter but I have seen Lecter done a bunch of different times now Sure, that you instantly yeah. compare that with the other ones. So right. it's it kind of, when you look back on it, you're just kind of just comparing it and you're just like, ah, I kind of like this one better. I like this Lecter better. Um, yeah. I like this story about, you know, surrounding that better. Uh, uh, have you I, seen
0: Black, Hat? Seen Black Hat, right? I've
1: seen parts, I've not seen it completely, but I've seen enough where I'm like, okay, no, that's <laughs> that's,
0: it's not worth it. I'm telling you right now, it's not worth it. It's got uh, Ferrari coming up in 2022, yeah. yeah.
1: I'd have to say, Thieves up there, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I'll tell you what, I have, I want to see the Keep, and I have yet to see it. And I, I mean, yeah, I, I was reading about too. the Keep and i was like oh this sounds so like just off the yeah. wall i need to see this movie <laughs> it's
0: bonkers. This a totally right. bonkers film. yeah um fantastic well that's thief uh mike what uh, so what's the next episode you guys got coming up here on uh, forgotten cinema
1: coming up this week we are uh, we've got i love you to death with kevin klein and tracy ullman uh river phoenix uh keanu reeves a bunch of people in this movie it's based on a nice. based on a true tale.
0: <laughs> love it, yeah. love it. We'll ch- we'll check that out. And then, Chris, what do we got coming up next week on Film Trace?
2: Yeah, so I'm picking the new movie. Uh, I decided to spare us of uh, trying to pick apart Malcolm and Marie, though it seems oh, like you already did God. that yourself, Dan. I a- don't know one why. of the worst
0: experiences of my life watching <laughs> that movie.
2: So instead, uh, coming to VOD this Friday is uh, the new Kristen Wig comedy barb and star go to vista del mar it's one of the last remnants of uh incessant trailers from my time at the movie theater uh, way back when those were still open and uh, it's finally coming out and it looks like it might be terrible it might be a curio it might be actually secretly hilarious i don't know we we will find find out out. i
0: am i am highly skeptical and worried about (laughs) anyway this has been film trace uh mike from forgotten cinema thank you for joining us it's been fantastic Oh, Uh, thanks mike good
1: time thank you
0: all right have a good one all right bye